Yesterday afternoon, I had the privilege of uh, doing a wedding, and it's kind of coming to the end of wedding season. It's been fun to actually have weddings again this summer, and so it always helps me remember back to my wedding day, our wedding day. 16 years ago, our our marriage can finally drive legally, so that's awesome, Um, and so... Uh, always reminds me back to that day 16 years ago, which also uh, helps me remember uh, the date uh, of a book series that, that started. Uh, it, it's like two anniversaries in one. It's like my wedding anniversary and the anniversary of a really, really important book in uh, novel history. And so uh, this book is it, it, a classic story. Uh, about a young girl who uh, moved to the coast and, and, and moved there to be with her aunt and uncle. And then she, she saw this, this man and, and he was kind of pale faced. And um, I'm talking about twilight people, okay? <laughs> talking about vampires this morning. Um, twilight in 2005 was a raving success. I mean, I was a youth pastor at that time and kids couldn't get enough of this vampire stuff. I was like, that's so weird. But now we've moved into this whole new mode of like zombies, right? Like you, you know, I, that's what I talk about. I talk about zombies. You're like vampires, zombies. Where are we going here this morning? Well, here's where we're going. I want to talk about death this morning. Okay. I want to talk about the living dead. I want to talk about people who are alive, but dead, who might be breathing, but something in their life might be dead within them, like a vampire, like a zombie, like any of the undead, the walking, the walking dead, if you will. Here's the question. What's dead in your life right now? What is dead in your life right now? It's kind of a morbid question, but, but I want you to take a moment to take some inventory and say, yeah, I'm living, I'm here, I'm breathing, right? But, but what is actually dead in your life right now? Some of you might say there's a relationship in my life that's dead right now. There is something going on in a friendship. I've been friends with this person for a very long time, but but there's a rift now in that friendship and it actually actually feels like death, like the death of a friendship. Some of you would say, um, it was my marriage. And, and with this pandemic, the, the pressure of all of this, it just caused us to, to crack and to break and, and now that marriage is fractured and, and for some of you now that marriage feels dead. It feels dead. For some of you, uh, death can feel uh, like finances, You've run into a situation financially where it feels like death. It feels like no matter where you go, it's not going to be life-giving. It feels like like the end, not the beginning. What's dead? What's dead in your life right now? Maybe some of you would say, no, Brian, that's really literal for me. Like, I lost somebody in this past year. And so, you know, we're going to get to Thanksgiving and we're going to get to Christmas and you're going to get to the, their, their birthday. And, and there's like something hard about that because death is, death is in the midst for you. 
What is dead in your life right now? And I don't want to dwell on that too much this morning, but I want you to be honest about that because I think if we start to be honest with that, then we can actually understand that there's good news. And so here's the good news. God brings dead things back to life. God brings dead things back to life. So whatever you just thought about, here's what I want you to think about for the remainder of our time together. What would it take? What would it look like for God to bring that back to life? Because God has a master's degree, a PhD in bringing things back to life. We're going to end our series anthology today. Did you have fun this summer? I, I, it was fun. I thought it was a really good time. Yeah, I thought it was a really good time. I want to spe- say a special thank you. We had uh, a bunch of different teachers who helped us out. So uh, Derry Long, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Jim Kena, Sam Knight, Alex Erlenbush, Brandon Edwards. Uh, we just had these great teachers and speakers who came and taught on these songs that we know and love, but now we know them a little bit better. We know the words that we're singing. We know the stories behind the words. So we're going to bring that to a close today with a song called Graves Into Gardens. Graves Into Gardens. And there is this anthem in the middle of it. We'll sing it later. And it says this, you turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens, bones into armies, seas into highways. And that's what I want to work through this morning is those three stories within the Bible. Because you might go, what what is that all about? That's a great question. What are those three lines all about? Let's start with uh, chronologically. Let's go from uh, beginning of Bible to the end of the Bible. Here we go. So let's go seas into highways. Seas into highways. Now you're thinking, what is, what is that all about, right? So I had a, uh, have a grandfather. His name's Art Van Epps, and he is everything you imagine that name to be, okay? <laughs> Art Van Epps. And Art Van Epps liked to tell a story about how one time he was walking on a beach in California, and he saw something glittering in the sand. And so he went over and, and he dug around in the sand and out popped a genie lamp. And he rubbed that genie lamp. Stay with me, stay with me, Art Van Apps, okay. He rubbed that genie lamp and a genie popped out and said, you may have one wish. And my grandfather said, hey, hey, I'm a three-wish kind of guy. And the genie said, well, I'm not a three-wish kind of genie. So you get one wish. And so, so he thought long and hard and he said to the genie, hey, man, I'm a little bit afraid of airplanes. It's kind of a Van Epps thing. We're afraid of airplanes. We don't fit in them well. Uh, and I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I've never been to Hawaii because I'm just scared to fly. So here's what I'd like you to do, Jeannie. I'd like for you to build me a highway over the ocean, over to Maui, over to Hawaii, right? Because I want to go to visit Hawaii. And the genie said, do you know, do you know how much concrete that's going to take? I mean, it's going to exhaust all the natural resources we have. You're like, have you seen the prices of gas art? Like, this is, this is a bad wish. Are you sure you don't want something else? And so, so my grandfather thought, he pondered, and he says, man, my wife is really complicated, Jeannie, and I don't, I don't know. 
I, I can't understand her half the time. And I just, I wish I could understand what was going on inside my wife's mind. I, that's what I wish for. I wish to know what my wife is thinking. And the genie replied, do you want that highway to be two lanes or four lanes? Okay. <laughs> that's my grandpa's joke too. It literally, literally is grandpa Art's joke. That's not what seize into highways means. Seize into highways should spark something in your imagination if you're an avid Bible reader, and you should be. Seize into highways should spark something within you that brings a story to mind. One of the great stories within the Old Testament found in the book of Exodus. See, Moses has gone to the Pharaoh Even if you haven't been around church much, you probably know this story. Moses has gone to the Pharaoh and said, let my people go, right? And and there's these 10 plagues that fall upon Egypt. And finally, the Pharaoh says, okay, I will let the Israelites leave. And so that's what they do. They head out of Egypt and they begin to head to the promised land. And they get a little ways away and the Pharaoh says to his other leaders, he says, what are we doing? We just lost our workforce. Why did we let them go? And he changes his mind. He says, we're gonna go and we're gonna go get them. And when we get there, we either bring them back or we'll kill them or something, but we're gonna go and get them. And so Pharaoh and his army, they take off out of Egypt and they pursue the Israelites right to the edge of the Red Sea. And so you got to put yourself in the picture here. You got to use your imagination a little bit. You are the Israelites. You have just received freedom from captivity, freedom from slavery. You're on the way to the promised land. You've seen these amazing spectacles in Egypt, God showing off his power. And then you see what you expected to see. You see death coming. You see Pharaoh coming and his army and chariots coming and they are coming to kill you, and then you're stuck because you look ahead and you see the sea and you have no way to get across that sea. You have no way to get there. In fact, in those days, the ocean, the sea, the water, it was a place of death, not a place of life. If you went out there, that's where you would die. So if you're them, you're looking at death and you're looking at death and you're stuck in the middle of death. There's no way out. All you can see is death. And it's in the middle of this that God provides an unexpected way for them to live. Listen to this, Exodus 14, 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and it turned into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Unexpected ending. They walk across dry land to safety. The sea parts and becomes a highway. Have you ever had a moment where it felt like there was death on one side, death on the other side, there was nowhere to go, there was no way that things were gonna get better, and then suddenly there was a way, there was a pathway 
Suddenly, miraculously, there was a way for you to take one step and then two steps and then three steps and suddenly you found yourself on the other side of that problem. That's why I love the Bible. It's not just their story, it's our story. You've been there too. God provides. He changes a sea into a highway. That's what should come to mind when you sing this line. You turn seas into highways. Next line is this. You turn bones, bones into armies. You turn bones into armies. Alex covered this in his sermon on the song called Rattle a couple weeks ago. And what it should bring to mind to you is Ezekiel 37. See, the story of the Israelites is just like our story. God provides a way for us and we're like, we love you, God. You're so amazing. I'm just gonna worship with all I am now. Uh, And then the next day you forget about him, right? You're like, ah, you know, like I got got things to do, God. Like life got busy and and I kind of forgot you. And so, The Israelites, they forget God and then they remember God and the prophets come to remind them of the voice of God. And Ezekiel is one of these prophets and he comes to the Israelites and he says, listen, you're dead. He's got this vision. He's got this picture. And the picture is that there is a valley of dead bones. You know what dead bones do? They stay there. That's what they do, okay? They don't do nothing. They just stay there on the ground, a valley of dry bones. Ezekiel sees these dry bones everywhere. And and God says, hey, you need to speak over these dry bones. Like Alex reminded us, he said, hey, you need to speak over them repentance. You need to say to those dry bones, you need to repent. You know what repentance is? It's recognizing that you're dead. See, God can't raise things to life if that thing doesn't realize it's dead. Does that make sense? Like if that thing thinks it doesn't need to be raised to life, then God's like, okay, you can have what you want. You can have what you want. But the moment that you recognize I am dead in my sin, dead in transgressions, I am the bones in the valley, that's when God can do something. That's when God can finally raise those bones to life. So Alex pointed us to this idea of repentance so that we may see revival that this, these bones, they start, they start rattling, but they don't, they don't just rattle. Here's what happens in Ezekiel 37, verse nine. This is what it says. Then he, God said to me, prophesy, tell the truth to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain, these dead, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army, a vast army that was alive. You turn Bones into armies. Out of this moment where there is a valley of bones, it's turned into an army. Have you had a moment where you had no fight left in you? Where you you just couldn't see tomorrow? 
He thought, I, I got nothing left in the tank. I can't fight for whatever is dead in my life. I can't fight anymore. I'm lifeless in this moment. And then if you ever had a moment where God somehow raises you up out of that, he, he gives you a testimony, a story to tell that God has redeemed you, that God has saved you. And then you rise up and then you know what you're ready to do? You're ready to fight, right? You're not ready to run away. You're not ready to hide. You have been redeemed. You have been saved. You have been made alive and you're ready for a fight. God turns bones into armies unexpected. Last story. It's the last line and the title of the song, Graves into Gardens. And this is where I want to spend a little bit more time uh, this morning. You turn graves into gardens. That sounds like a weird phrase. If you're new around here, you're like, man, this is weird. Yep, it's weird. We sang and then they asked for money and it's kind of weird. Now we're talking about graves in the gardens, but I don't even know, right? You turn graves into gardens. This is where it comes from. So all of the Old Testament, especially for those of you who are new to the Bible, new to this, all of the Bible's pointing to Jesus. So, So the story of the Red Sea, of God parting the way, and giving life in the midst of death. It's just foreshadowing. It's like somebody's gonna come and he's gonna lead you out of, out of death, out of destruction into a new land. It's Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. When, when there's a valley of dry bones and, and Ezekiel comes to prophesy and speak truth to those dry bones, well, Jesus comes and he speaks truth to us. He speaks truth to the people. He doesn't say, I'm just gonna speak truth. He actually says, I am the way the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. It's a foreshadowing to Jesus. You gotta always, it's like, where's Waldo of the Bible, okay? You're always like, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? We hit something called the New Testament and Jesus shows up on the scene. We celebrate this at Christmas. Jesus Jesus shows up on the scene, unassuming in a small little town called Bethlehem to a young couple, but he's not like any other. There, there's these prophecies about him. He, people are saying like, he, he's gonna be the Messiah. There's the angels show up. Like, I don't know how your day of birth was, but angels didn't show up on mine. So like, if they did on yours, I'd like to hear about that because I'd like to preach about it. Okay, so <laughs> angels show up and prophesy for him that he is gonna be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then as he grows and develops, something is, is very different about him. Like there's no sin in him. The, the people who are, are, are listening to him teach, he teaches with this different authority than any other teacher we've ever seen teach. And then, and then he encounters people who are broken and hurting and, and he heals them. And he doesn't just heal them. One of the things he does most often when somebody needs healing, he first says, your sins are forgiven, and and then he goes on to do the healing because he knows what actually needs healing first. And and then he goes on to to feed 5,000 people out of a little boy's Lunchable, right? He, he, He transfigures on the top of a mountain with his disciples. 
He lives this amazing life and there's this, there's this growing, um, growing amount of people that are following him. There's these 12 that are sort of the inner circle of these folks, but, the, but he has a following. There are people that are following him and they're starting to whisper like, could this be, could this be the, the guy that all the other stuff was pointing to that, that all of our scripture was whispering about? Is, is, this, is this the guy? Could this be the Messiah? And then it comes to this climactic moment where Jesus says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ride into Jerusalem. And I'm telling you, here's what the disciples thought was gonna happen. They thought he was coming, over, coming in to overthrow the Romans and to set up an earthly kingdom. Because one of the things that Jesus talked about all the time was his kingdom. So they thought, hey man, this is great. I'll, I'll sit at your right hand or your left hand, Jesus. I like this whole king thing. Let's do it. Let's do some politics, Jesus. Let's overthrow this government. And Jesus comes into the city and there's people laying down palm branches and they're singing and they're praising and they're excited until later that week when they're cheering, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. See, at the climactic moment of Jesus's ministry, he's handed over to the Roman officials. He's handed over to the Jewish leaders. And they, they say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna get rid of this guy. This guy is a problem. He's talking about a kingdom that's not like our kingdom. He's talking about rules that aren't our rules. People are starting to follow him and it's challenging our authority. It's challenging our power. So we gotta get rid of this guy. So you would think Jesus would snap his fingers, right? He'd pull up. What's that guy in the you know, Avengers? He snaps his fingers and everything like dies. Anyway, he could have done that, but he didn't, right? Instead, he goes to the cross. Instead, he gets beaten to within an inch of his life. He gets mocked, scourged. And he hangs upon that cross and, and he shouts out, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then you can almost picture yourself being there as he, as he breathes his last and all hope is gone. Like even the earth itself shudders in that moment. Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Put yourself in the shoes of his followers. What would you have felt in that moment? Utter defeat, hopelessness, death from the one who said he was the way, the truth, and the life, but, but now he is dead. He's in a grave with a stone rolled in front of it. Their savior, their friend, their teacher, the one that they thought was gonna change everything was dead in, in the ground. And it's in that moment when hope seems the least that Mary Magdalene and some of the other disciples went to the tomb early on the first day of the week. The disciples, they, they go to the tomb and something's strange about the tomb and, and there's, there's, no, there's no body 
And then Mary is, is there and Mary is considering what's going on and we enter into her story in verse 11 of John chapter 20. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Notice what she doesn't say. She doesn't say, he's risen. Here's what she says. They have taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the, say it with me, gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Thinking he was the gardener. Why? Because she didn't expect that he would be alive. She, she thought somebody had stolen the body. She thought this is a grave where dead bodies stay. And yet she runs into the gardener. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think this is, I don't think this is a little, a little mistake by John. I think this is very purposeful. John is one of the most poetic of the three gospels, or of the four gospels. And John wants to point us to the fact that God turns graves into gardens. That God turns graves into gardens. Let's, let's say it this way. The foundation of Christianity is resurrection. The foundation of Christianity is resurrection. Andy Stanley uh, Really respect him as a pastor. He's got a, a little church down in Atlanta called North Point, like 20,000 people, something like that. Tiny little church. And um, uh, he wrote a book called Irresistible. And he got in a little bit of hot water over this. So, and some of you probably like, you're not gonna like this, so that's okay. Um, what he said was, the basis of our faith isn't the Bible. And people were like, what? How dare you, Andy Stanley? And if you read the whole book and not just little pieces, because that's what we like to do these days, like we live by snippets instead of actually the whole story. So that's free. Um, okay. um, he says the basis of our faith is not in the Bible. The, fa the basis of our faith is in an event. The basis of our faith is in resurrection. Like the, the Bible all points to resurrection. The Bible all speaks, it whispers toward resurrection. But if, if Jesus stays in the grave, it's just a grave, it doesn't turn into a garden. We should all go home. We should all go home. If he never rose from the grave, we should all go home. If you're around here for the first time and you're wondering what do we believe in, here's what we believe in. We believe in a savior who died and three days later, 
He conquered sin, he conquered death, and he did something no one else has ever done. He rose from the grave. It doesn't matter what death is in your life right now. He can bring it back to life. Like you can be so lost in your sin right now, so broken in your sin right now, and he can redeem you. He can bring you resurrection in your life. If you admit to him, I am dead in my transgressions. I am dead in my sin. Please, Lord, bring me back to life. He has the power and he has the power alone to do that. He can do that in your marriage. If your marriage is just on the brink and it feels like death, can I tell you this? If Jesus can raise from the grave, he can raise up your marriage. He can redeem your marriage. That wayward child that you're worried about, that you are are, are up late at night thinking about, you're praying about, he can redeem that son or daughter. His arm is not too short. If you think you've got death in your life right now because of your finances, He can redeem the simplest of things. He would just say, that's just money. I can take care of that. I got got no problems with that. You might have to make some changes in your life, but I can redeem that. There is nothing that is too dead that Jesus cannot make alive. So, what do you need Jesus to bring back to life? What do you need Jesus to bring back to life? Maybe it's, maybe it's something deeper. Maybe it's, maybe it's these dr- dreams and hopes that you had for your life and they feel dead. You want to say, Jesus, I need, I need you to bring those back to life. Like I was once living with this passion. I was all in for you. You, you felt like you gave me a vision for, for what my life could look like for you. And, and, and that has somehow died. Maybe it's some of these practical things that we've been talking about that are feeling dead in your life. Maybe you need to ask Jesus to bring those back to life. Maybe, maybe for you, um, it's that you're hearing this for the very first time. You're hearing for the very first time uh, this good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That today in the town of David, a savior has been born, someone who can bring things back to life. Maybe it's the first time you need to say, I'm, I'm dead on my own. We're trying to fill this void with all kinds of things and I'm so tired, I'm so exhausted. And all I need, all I need is somebody who can bring me back to life. Whatever, whatever that might be, uh, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to, so everybody just close your eyes and um, I just want you to take a moment to engage with, with that thought. What do you need Jesus to bring back to life? Jesus, 
We thank you for these words, for the reminder that you are the one who gives life. Jesus, I, I pray that they'd be more than words to us, that, that they would affect how we live this week. I pray that you'd restore hope to us. I pray that you would help us to see what you have in store. And Jesus, I pray for those especially who are hearing this for the very first time. I pray that even in this moment, you would meet with them. That you would open their eyes. That they would respond to you. As you turn uh, their grave into a garden. If that's you, um, nothing magical. All you got to do is ask him. Just quietly within your heart, say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to redeem me. I need, I need life, and I've chosen death. Help me to see the ways of life. Turn my grave into a garden. Jesus, whatever, whatever it is right now in, in our hearts, in our lives, um, we, pray, we pray for resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Unexpected endings are fun. <laughs> so when Brandon and I were uh, talking about this series uh, this past spring, uh, Brandon said, we've never done like a, a worship series just on worship. And, and so I, I, I was listening to a bunch of worship music and this song, it just, it just spoke to me. And one of the things I kept thinking about was, I wonder if anybody actually knows what we're singing about. <laughs> and, and that's what spurred on us thinking about, hey, what would it look like for us to learn how to be worshipers? See, Journey is known as a church that can, that can play some music. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that, but um, we got that MO about us. But, but here's what I'd want more for us. I'd want us to be known as those who are worshipers. So let, let's end this really, really well as we declare that God has given us graves that turn into gardens. Let's stand and let's worship together. I've searched the world but it couldn't fill me Man's empty praise Treasures of faith Never enough You came along Put me back together And every desire Is now satisfied
Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.